2: Warmer the low. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Curse with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Peace and Family Podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, we head out to the Pacific Northwest. That's where we find our good friend Curtis Rogers, who does absolutely excellent work over at 710 Seattle Sports. We're going to be talking with him a little bit about the teams in the Pacific Northwest, our mid majors that we want to take note of, teams like Eastern Washington, Seattle U. We're going to be diving in on that front. And then on top of that, we're going to be taking a look at really the lay of the land that we've got in the Pac-12 as of right now. We're going to be also taking a look at a few teams that he's feeling bullish and bearish on. A lot of disappointment talk with the teams like UCLA, St. Mary's, USC coming up a little bit short thus far this season. Then in the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on all 10 games on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. If you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at G N underscore D1. Keep in mind letters M. They mean does not matter, so as for usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way is find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars it is very much appreciating them. From there you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today but we had a fun day of college basketball on Thursday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these scenes a little bit better.
0: The games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap.
2: Since the Greg Peterson experience is from midnight to three eastern time that would be nine to midnight pacific time. I do oftentimes have to do the These recaps a little bit in advance, so we're going to take a look at a few late results that we did get on Wednesday as well, as we've had a very intriguing last few days of college basketball in general, and you did see Nebraska just continue the misery of Indiana. Indiana loses that game by double figures as they just really weren't in the game to start with. 86-70 as for Indiana, this defense has just become an absolute sieve at this point. They go 9-18 of from 3-par range, but they allow Nebraska to go 12-32 of from distance. Rink Mass was able to return, didn't necessarily have the world's biggest impact as he only had in this game, like 9 points, 3 rebounds, but 20 points out of Casey Shomanaga. That was very massive. And then you saw in the late game, USC, they do get the job done outright. They cover the closing 7 half that you saw in a lot of spots as well. 82-74. to 74. They were much more comfortable in this game, leading by double figures throughout, but Jalen Tyson was able to throw in there. 23 points for Cal and then San Diego State. They're starting a nice little run of unders. 74-47. to 47. They completely just dis- Band, the uh, Fresno State Bulldogs, uh, that was a relatively solid result for them. And then what we all saw on Thursday was just a lot of football in general, including just a very, very low-scoring slog. This Towson bunch has not gotten a lot going on offense as far this season. And they came up completely dry on Thursday, 51-3. 43. Monmouth gets the outright win. They get the cover and Towson. They are now 10-3 to the under thus far this season. By the way, Monmouth has been able to make quite a bit of money. 10-3-1 against the spread. Now for Monmouth. Xander Rice, he followed his dad and King Rice over to the university. He was big in this game. 21 points. For Monmouth, they win the rebound battle 45 to 42. They win the turnover battle 14 to 13 as well. So nice throw of domination there. My old monmouth as they are a really good cover team two seasons ago. Last year was a little bit rough, but now they're back on the good path there. And then you saw Michigan State, they're back on track as well. 92 to 61. They completely dispatch Penn State for Penn State. They go three of 29 for three-point range. As cold as an igloo, and for Michigan State, you knew this team was good be able to pick it up a little bit more with their three-point shooting, and now here it is. 10 of 21 from three-point range. You had Ty Walker be able to throw in their 22 big points, and off the of bench, Trey Holloman. He was able to give the team 10 points, six assists for Michigan State. They actually barely win the rebound battle by a count of 40 to 36, but they win the turnover battle 16 to 12 for Penn State, you did have 21 points in this one out of Kane a. Cleary, but really, past that, not much of anything else. So that was a little bit rough, and things have been rough for Stonehill since coming up to the Division I ranks, 74-59. to They lose to Central Connecticut, a Central Connecticut team that I'm taking a little bit of a liking to, and something that you've got to love is fading this team. How about Detroit losing yet another game, 69-51. to Detroit's best friend right now is Owen. as for UW-Green Bay. Not a world beater on the offensive front by any stretch of the imagination, but they do go 10-of-26 from three-point range. You had Foster Wonders coming off the bench. He was able to supply the team with 14 points, and they got a very unexpected 14-rebound performance out of Will Amos, who he was averaging about three rebounds per contest going into this one for Detroit. They go 18-of-55 from the floor, and for Detroit, they get completely pounded on the glass 45 to 23. If you're looking at against the spread record, Detroit 3 and 13. And UW May is actually 9 5 against the spread. They have been quite a good money maker for you thus far this season. It's actually your best money maker thus far has been Fort Wayne. They were not in action on Thursday, but they're actually 9 3 and 1 against the spread. Oakland has been your next best cover team. 10 5 against the spread for Oakland. They were laying between four and a half. I think in some places it was five, but I saw a lot of closing four and a half and they did get the job done in this one by a count of 195 as Milwaukee has been able to find their offense ever since BJ turned it up Freeman has been able to return to the program as for B.J. Freeman. He was able to help the team out with 15 points. Came in off the bench in this one. He also had Faison Fields come in, gave the team 17 points, 12 rebounds for Oakland. They do go, though, 8 of 21 from 3-point range with Blake Lantman being able to supply 19 points. Goes 5 of 12 from 3-point range. Trey Townsend was able to chuck in their 28 points as well in an Oakland team that they have been a little bit up and down with regards to the offense and the defense. They certainly got it going on the offensive side of things. Wright State, they have been one of your best over teams in all of college basketball thus far this season, but in uh, the game on Thursday, it was an under that they played against Cleveland State, but they got the job done this by kind of. 80-70, to 70 as for Wright State this far this season, they have been pretty much a rocket ship with regards to their offense, but they were slowed down a little bit in this one for Wright State. They still were able to have their main two be able to supply quite a bit, as you had Trey Calvin be able to chip in their 20 points. For Tanner Holden, it wasn't as much of a scoring standpoint in this one. He had six turnovers and six points, but what he did do was give the team eight rebounds, seven assists, and that allowed Brandon Noel to be able to chip in their 24 big points, so that was relatively solid from a Wright State team that uh, They've been cashing overs left and right for you this far the season, even with this under. They still have played nine overs to just four under, so they have been quite a marvel with regards to it against the spread standpoint. Didn't have a lot of top 25 teams that were in action on Thursday, but one of the teams that are currently in action as I do this podcast, I do have to do this in a little bit of advance, that'd be Arizona. They entered into the day with having covered all, but I believe three of their games as far as the season currently. They're up 31-11 to 11 on Colorado midway through the first half. We'll need to do some cleanup at later later date on that one because we're going to have 140 games breakdown on the podcast tomorrow so there's not going to be too much of a recap but that said a team that certainly has been able to make you a lot of money and they get the job done on the spread that would be James Madison they were held down in the first half they only scored 22 points but defense was able to keep them lively they pull out a win and a cover against Louisiana this by a count of 68 to 61 they are now 9-3 and 1 against the spread as in a lot of places they were closing weighing about six. Six half. This was more of a five to five and a half overnight, but for James Madison, even though they weren't able to get a lot going with regards to their offense, they did just enough to be able to get this one done. As for Louisiana, they go just five of 19 from three point range. For James Madison, a doldrum of 5 of 22 from distance, but you did have Terrence Edwards be able to supply the team with 19 points. James Madison did a good job winning the battle on the glass, 46 of 31, and even though they didn't have their fastball on offense, they still were able to get it done. That was a very good sign for this team as well, so very encouraging on the front of James Madison and them being able to keep this going throughout the entirety of the season. Another team has been quite dominant this far this season as well. This is a game that's not yet done, but looking like it's going to be another cover for them. How about Grand Canyon? This is a team that is going to be coming up with myself and Curtis Rogers in a few minutes. They're currently up 76 of 57 as I do this podcast over Southern Utah. They were on the closing line, laying in the neighborhood about 10 to 10.5 points. But for this Grand Canyon team, they entered 12 and 1 straight up. They're going to go to 13 and 1 straight up. They've been about 7 and 5 against the spread. So I really like what I've seen there against a Southern Utah team that entered into the night actually 9 and 2 against the spread, which I find that to be very surprising. But they have been able to get the job done time and time again. Looks like they're going to fall a little bit short here unless if they get a little bit of a late rally, but that has been a team to take note of and this has been a team to take note of against the spread as well. The Trojans of Troy are now... 8-2-1 8-2-1 against the spread. At the very least, they were entering the night at that, and they get another cover against Old Dominion. And Old Dominion, if you're looking for a fade, by the way, man. They are now 3-11 and 11 against the spread. As for Troy, they get the job done 86-73. It's a Troy team that has been playing quite a bit more up-tempo, and they go 12-32 of 32 from three-point range, and also out there in the old fun belt. Another team has been quite a fade. Southern Miss They entered into the night 2-8-1 against the spread. They were laying about 2.5 against Georgia State. Doing this with about 15 seconds left, and Southern Miss up by 6, unless you see a calamity. They should be able to get the cover in this one. Andre Carbello, he... Took 21 shots and had 13 points. He's going to get one of the most strange triple doubles I've ever seen. He's currently got 13 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, 4 turnovers, and 21 taken shots with 13 points. But Southern Miss does get the job done. They do get the cover. And that's just the Andre Carmelo experience, ladies and gentlemen. You never know what you're going to be getting on that front. So it certainly has been entertaining to take a look at that. And it's always entertaining to take a look at Memphis. The DK Network write-up pick from when I published it was right around 152, 152 and a half and it just got there. I saw a lot of 153 out there and if you bet it late, I do apologize that we had a rough second half from Memphis, but it does bring the record to now 34 and 25 as Memphis they get the job done outright. They don't get it done against the spread as they were laying anywhere between 9 and 10 points. That was a number that was pinballing up down and all around as well. 78 to 75, the final in this one as Memphis did go a little bit cold in the second half and there were quite a few missed free throws in this game as well. There is a lot of turnovers that happened on this front as well, but Memphis, they're able to persevere with Javon Quinterly hitting a 3 pretty much at the buzzer to be able to get this one in as Memphis goes 6 of 20 for 3 and Tulsa were Really nice second half. They go 10-34 to 34 from three-point range themselves. P.J. Haggerty was able to chip in their 27 points, eight rebounds, and for Memphis, it was led by Dobby Jones being able to chip in their 17 points and eight rebounds, but the seven turnovers were a little bit unsightly. Good effort from Tulsa, as they do get the cover, but they... Are unable to get that outright win as that came down to the bitter, bitter end. And Coastal Carolina, a team that did not play a lot of games on the road in non conference play, they got done against Texas State by kind of 71 to 63. So, very interesting result there. Like I said, we've got a few other games that are going on as I do this podcast right now. Oregon up on Washington, 46 to 43. So, we shall see how that shakes out, including we also have the nation's top cover team currently in action, and right now they're in good shape. We're about midway through the second half. Minnesota down 48-47 to 47 against Michigan as for Minnesota. They enter into this game 12-1 and 1 against the spread. They were catching in this spot right in the neighborhood about 5.5. Some of you might have been able to get a straight 6 out there as well so we shall see how that shakes out in the nation's worst cover team in Pacific. They're just getting going against San Francisco as well. I was seeing some 20s out there at one point as they are 2-11 and 11 against the spread. That game just got started so we'll have a little bit of weekend cleanup to do as like I said the massive 100 million billion game Saturdays they start up tomorrow on this podcast, but if you're taking a look at the lay of the land in college basketball, what we're seeing trend wise lots and lots of overs over the last 7 days. 143 overs to 113 unders. We still have some games pending for Thursday to lump in there as well. And home underdogs have been taking it on the chin. 27 and 32 against the spread, while favorites are on a blistering pace. North of 57% over the last 7 days. 145, 109 and 4 against the spread. And if you're looking at the overall season numbers, favorites are hanging at about 51%. 1,125, 1,081 and 35 against the spread. Home underdogs, a 55 50 split, 253, 253, and 10 against the spread, while overs hitting at 51.3%, 1,039 overs, 1,080 unders, and quite a few pushes along the way, about 25 or so. So that's what we're seeing college basketball right now, and that's what we all got on Thursday. Now let's take a look at the lay of the land out west, the mid-majors to take note of with regards to West Coast, and a few West Coast disappointments as well. We talk about that and so much more with Curtis Rogers of Sub Ten Seattle Sports. Joining me next right here on Kosikosi, with myself training computers and now a part of the VC Family Podcast. And we're back here in Las Vegas for "Kiss Kiss Hoops with myself, Greg Epps Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast, and it is always great to be joined by this man as Curtis Rogers does such superb work over at Seven Ten Seattle Sports. You name it, he does it. He does Seattle Mariners pre- and post-game work. Does a great job following the Washington Huskies, who are now in the national title. I know that that is a big topic of conversation out there in the Pacific Northwest this week. Take a look at the Seattle Seahawks, Seattle Kraken, and obviously this great game that we all know and love of college basketball. You're about to follow Curtis on Instagram, along with X over at a kid from Kent all together. And Curtis, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, always looking forward to our conversations and
4: everything's going right in terms of college basketball, in terms of the craziness atop the rankings and out West, Greg, between the WCC, between the Pac-12, between it all, there's just absolute chaos right now out West here in the Pacific time zone.
2: Oh, there certainly is, and now that the distractions of the holidays are done, we can now really dive in on what we're going to be seeing on the front of college basketball with the ruckus environments, the tremendous home crowds, and it is going to be oh so glorious. And when it comes to the Pac-12, it is really interesting to take a look at this conference because Arizona, despite their loss against Stanford, I don't think that there's any ifs about it, even if they were to lose uh, Colorado on Thursday. We're doing this prior to that game. I would still have Arizona by far as my top team out there in the Pac-12. But how do you look at the rest of the conference? Because I do feel like there are a few teams, the Colorado team that Arizona had to play on Thursday, even the Washington Huskies that have been able to rise up a little bit more. Meanwhile, there have been some of the biggest disappointments in all of college basketball residing both in the Pac-12 and on the West Coast in general.
4: Yeah, those disappointments looking at UCLA and USC square in the eye, those two teams have really – Left plenty to be desired this season. You mentioned Washington. They took their lumps in that mountain road trip. But as you and I have talked about many times on this podcast, one of the toughest things to pull off is sweeping those uh, two mountain teams, Colorado and Utah, on the Pac-12. Next year, they head to the Big 12. So that'll be an interesting little road trip for a lot of the powers in the Big 12, especially because you know there's better competition in the Big 12 next season. But I'm looking at Oregon right now as an improving team. They're 10-3. and I think they are exceeding expectations right now. Hopefully, they can kind of continue at this pace and really play to what I think is, you know, an NCAA tournament expectation. Jackson Shellstad has been everything that they could have asked for and more. I mean, Greg, you and I, we covered Peyton Pritchard. We covered that Oregon team. I mean, Shellstad, it feels like the local guys in the Oregon area just have a a deeper connection with the Ducks crowd uh, than anybody else, and so he kind of fits that role. I mean, Luke Ridenour is another guy who I think of in that role years and years ago. So the Ducks are playing some good ball right now. They've got that game against Washington. Uh, Washington, like I said, reserving judgment on them, but right now it is Arizona, and then there is a large, large chasm between them and who might be the second best team in the conference. Who knows? Maybe it is that Colorado team that's playing them on Thursday night at McHale Center will be interesting to see how that one goes. I mean, obviously, there's some question marks with Tristan Da Silva, whether or not he'll be healthy enough to play. But KJ Simpson has been really good this year for Colorado. Look at that Buffalo's team as as a team that I think should make the NCAA tournament if everything goes right for them this year. But outside of Arizona, no sure thing in the Pac-12 right
2: now. Yeah, I agree with you there. Although I am feeling a little bit more warm about this Colorado team. They were catching double digits against Arizona yesterday. I was willing to take the plunge should take the points with them but certainly when it comes to the Pac-12 at this point it is Arizona and then you've got a lot of other teams are looking to rise up you were mentioning Oregon with Jackson Shell said I really like him actually went to the same high school as Peyton Pritchard as well over there at West Lynn so lots of connections there so we shall see what we get on that front as Curtis Rogers, who does such tremendous work over at Sub 10 Seattle Sports, is showing me right here on Coast Coast Supes. And then, obviously, there have been other disappointments out there on the West Coast. I'm looking at you, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga, I feel like, has been a little bit as well. We knew that this probably wasn't going to be the same Gonzaga team as past years. When you lose a legend of the program like a Drew Timmy, you know that that's going to be a little bit rough. And, well, if they lost as 20-point favorites against Pepperdine, as we're doing this prior to that game as well, then there's really issues. But that said, when you take a look at this Gonzaga team, how do you evaluate them? Because I actually do think that the defense is a little bit better with this Gonzaga team, but I really think the biggest issue is the fact that Ryan Nemart has been one of the more disappointing transfers in all of college basketball because – I thought he'd fit in seamlessly with Gonzaga, and he's been sloppy and he's been rough from three point range. Yeah,
4: that one has been a big surprise to me, too, Greg. I know there was a lot of jockeying for. Nemhard services between Gonzaga and Arizona, and a lot of Arizona fans were disappointed to see Nemhard take the offer from Gonzaga. Now, that was before Caleb Love and Jaden Bradley committed, so there was a little bit of hand-wringing as to, you know, who Arizona was going to fill out their roster with, but I look at this Zags team, and I think everybody kind of assumed Nemhard was going to step into that role of the go-to guy. I mean, look, he had, what, a triple-double last year in the NCAA tournament. I mean, played for a really good Creighton team over the last couple of years, but Right now, this Gonzaga ball club, Greg, just kind of missing that go-to presence, that guy that they can go to at any point in the game. I mean, last year they had a couple of guys like that, Julian Strother, Drew Timmy. It's been, you know, Jalen Suggs in the past, Corey Kispert. It hasn't really just been Drew Timmy either. It's been a few guys that can really put the ball in the bucket when, when everything kind of breaks down. They don't have that right now, and they are really hurting. Their non-conference record, you know, having the four losses – didn't really pick up that signature win that we've seen them get in years past in in the non-conference slate games. Now, they do have one pretty prime opportunity left to pick up a signature win on their resume before March comes around. That's that game against Kentucky on February 10th. That should be a, a really fun matchup when that game rolls around in about a month's worth of time. But I'm looking at Gonzaga right now, Greg, and we're so used to seeing them being a one seed or a two seed in the tournament over the last, you know, six, seven, eight years. I don't know if they are even going to be a four or a five seed at this point. I mean, what, twenty fourth in the AP ranking right now? I will be very surprised if the West Coast Conference is able to put a team above maybe a six seed right now come selection Sunday when March
2: rolls around. Yep, and it is so interesting to take a look at that WCC because we did have a few teams that got some prime wins out of conference. As a matter of fact, Santa Clara knocked off three different Pac-12 teams. I assure you there's probably going to be one team in the Pac-12 this year that with three games or fewer in conference. So they're going to be right there with Santa Clara, San Francisco. Had a nice run of things out of conference as well. But I really think that what's hurting Gonzaga the most right now, not only is their losses, but also the fact that St. Mary's, we were talking about the disappointments of UCLA and USC. I feel like St. Mary's needs to be right there in terms of biggest disappointments at all of college basketball, the way that they have really sputtered out of the gates and their disappointments has led to the fact that Gonzaga is going to have fewer prime opportunities in conference and a conference that, as we know, isn't necessarily super tough to start with.
4: Absolutely. You got to wonder if
2: Gonzaga is maybe getting a little fed up with the lack of competition in the WCC
4: this season. Next year, they get Oregon State and Washington State, but Those two programs, they aren't game changers on the West Coast. They never have been. Oregon State, as we know, made the Elite Eight just a couple of years ago. And Washington State has been sort of on the fray of, you know, the NIT over the last few years. They haven't made the NCAA tournament since, I believe, 2008. Eight, if I'm not mistaken, which was like the Derek Lowe, Kyle Weaver years, which was forever ago now. Those guys are, I think, are approaching their like 40s, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. But I, I think the WCC right now is in a very interesting spot. You lose BYU, who last year did not have a great season, but they're really playing some good basketball to start off this year in the Big 12, kind of another really competitive team in that conference. You lose a good team like that. You don't really replace them. And now all of a sudden, Gonzaga, who kind of banks on St. Mary's being competitive, racking up a couple of ranked victories here and there in the conference late they're probably not going to have that opportunity this season. So now all of a sudden, I mean, if I'm Mark Few, I'm kind of looking around saying like, we have ran this conference for the last, oh, 25 years or so, but... Can we do better? Can we get to a place where this program not only is is just a powerhouse on the West Coast, but taking them to a, a national level too? I know the Big Twelve has been interested at varying points. Brett Yormark is a very aggressive commissioner, as we saw him poach four teams from the Pac-12 as that conference was dying a very fast death, led by George Klejvov. <laughs> but Gonzaga is in a very interesting spot right now, where they're not going to have many opportunities left in order to improve that resume
2: yeah they really aren't and it's been really interesting to take a look at this wcc because without byu that has really hurt them as we've seen BYU just absolutely bulldoze scenes as far this as the season has shown to me on the show we do have curtis rogers who does such great work over at 710 seattle sports joining me right here on coast coast saying and that's been one of my biggest surprises of the year now Rubber's really going to be beating the road for this BYU team. Conference play is going to be getting started for them over the weekend. But what have been a few teams that have really stunned you with their play thus far this season? And are teams that you want to take a look at a little bit more when it comes to conference play? Because, ironically enough, BYU is right at the top of the list for me.
4: Yeah, they've been a really interesting watch this season, especially because not a lot was expected of them. And the Big 12, as we know, is the most competitive conference in America right now. I'm going to look at the SEC and a team that is undefeated, Ole Miss, 13-0. They've played tons of close games. The most interesting result on their schedule, Greg, I'm looking at, they're undefeated. They had a one-point win against 0-15 Detroit Mercy. Uh, one of the most like ridiculous results in all of college basketball this season. Seeing those two teams play such a close game. And seeing them be on completely divergent paths right now in college basketball. Still can't wrap my mind around that one, but, you know, Ole Miss playing a lot of close games, getting some really good contributions out of Matthew Morrell and Alan Flanagan. And I mean, Chris Beard, obviously, you know, controversy has followed that guy over the last couple of years. Dude can coach the hell out of a basketball game, that's for sure. So the Ole Miss Rebels right now, they're a team I'm looking at. It's just a really odd route that they have taken to being undefeated. They've got a big test this weekend, though, against number five, Tennessee. Should be a fun one.
2: Oh, absolutely. It's so hilarious to take a look at some of those results as well. You just get some big-time oddities when it comes to college basketball. And, hey, that's part of why we love college basketball as well. It's just any given day you could see some of these teams rise up, like when Creighton was failing to get to 70 points against UNLV a few nights ago. That was something that I thought was worth watching as well. So I do always think that those are a lot of fun, as Curtis Rodgers, who does great work, over at Ten Seattle Sports is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Supes. Curtis, you're in a very prime area of the country for some mid-major college basketball as well because you're out there in Big Sky country. I know that you linger a little bit into Big West country a little bit as well. That's a little bit more reserved for the California area, though. But when it comes to some of the mid-majors in your area, like Seattle, like Eastern Washington, how do you take a look at those two teams? Because while I do think that Grand Canyon needs to be the by far favorite out there, in the whack. I really like what I've seen out of Seattle. They very nearly got their first ever win against Washington. And then this Easter Washington team, though it was unsavory to begin the season, they really challenged themselves. And now we're seeing that team getting rocking and rolling, going into big sky play. Yeah, with Seattle,
4: that game against Washington, they had so many opportunities to put the Huskies away. I would imagine there was a bitter taste left in the mouth of all the Red Hawk players and and coaching staff that night. But I think that speaks to kind of just the growth of that program. Being able to give one of the Power Conference teams a really big fight over at Climate Pledge Arena that was a couple weeks ago. I just think the Red Hawks program is one that is in really good hands with Chris Victor. I think they can definitely make some noise in the lack this season. But like you said, Grand Canyon, I mean, they are finally kind of living up to what we had thought that program could be. Obviously, the home court advantage that they have It really is a sight to behold. And, uh, you know, it's one of those gyms that, you know, the other two schools in the area, ASU and U of A, they pretty much refuse to go there because they know there's not a whole lot to be gained from playing in such a raucous environment against a team that is not, at least historically, not to the caliber of those schools. I look at Eastern Washington right now. Last year, going to be hard to top just what they were able to do in the regular season. You lose your best player and steal Venters. And now you're just kind of. In this weird spot, I do expect them to be a little more competitive once, you know, we get into the thick of big sky play here as conference play kind of opens up across the country. But the state of mid-major basketball here in the Pacific Northwest is in a really good spot. You know, you don't have teams that are just kind of taking their lumps anymore, like how Seattle U was in their infancy of playing D1 ball. You're seeing some really competitive basketball Against schools that have historically owned them in those ways. We've seen Eastern Washington make some noise in the NCAA tournament in the past. So I really like the state of mid major ball up here.
2: Yep, it certainly has been able to improve. I mean, heck. Seattle U was actually in the same conference as Old Chicago State back in the day, back when it was like the Great West. Uh, I mean, how things have risen over the last few years with so many of those teams, it has been quite a marvel, and Curtis, you get a front-row seat to it all, it is going to be just a tremendous run of things in conference play. We are locked and loaded in the Pac-12, we're locked and loaded in the WAC, the Big Sky, so much more, you've got a front-row seat to it all, and plus you're going to be covering a nice national title game within the next few days as well. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms.
4: Yeah, the national championship game has kind of taken all of our focus up here in the (laughs) Seattle area with good reason. I mean, it's not every day. The Huskies are playing for the biggest prize in college football. So that is going to be a big emphasis up here. But yeah, you can follow along at Seattlesports.com, like Greg said, on X. at kid from Kent, same handle on Instagram. Once college football season's over, we take a big swing at college basketball, the Zags, the Huskies, the Cougs, you name it. That's what's
2: going on up here
4: in the Pacific Northwest. Greg, always appreciate hopping on with you.
2: Yes, sir. It is going to be a very fun national title game as – Man, it had been such a long road for those teams out there in the. It had been such a long road for those teams out there in the Pac-12. They were able to rise up, and now you got Washington in the national title game, and you've got Curtis doing a great job covering a little bit of everything out there in the Pacific Northwest. Always love being able to get Curtis aboard. Big thanks to them for joining me on. Because he's now part of the Visa Family Podcast, and coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday, as we hit some big shots.
1: Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
3: mattresses, and select goods. That's leesa.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See Lisa.com for more details.
1: With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
2: And we're back to Luffy, Las Vegas for Costco hoops with myself, Greg Eames Peterson. Now part of the Beason Family Podcast, it is always great to be joined by Curtis Rogers. He does such good work over there at 710 Seattle Sports taking a look at so many different things. I know that he is very much enveloped in college football with the Washington Huskies going to the national title game. He does such a good job on the college basketball front, the NHL, NFL, you name it. He does it at every single time he joins this podcast. He lends such good insight. So, big thanks to Curtis for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots.
0: Most financial establishments close at a certain time but not here it is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots
2: do note that as per usual any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my twitter slash x feed at unit underscore 81 we are going to be going in las vegas rotation order with there being no games on the extra games board these are all bigger conference games it's just in straight time order so that'll keep things actually very clean and easy For today, so let's get things started with 877-878 on the betting board. It is UConn, and they're to face off against Butler. Butler is an underdog of six to six and a half points. Your total is between 144 and 145 and a half. There's a little bit of fear in this one with Donovan Klingin being a gentleman dealing with injury and he has been out the last few games. I would expect him to probably be out again and if he does play, he's going to be rather limited. But even with that taken into account, I did say UConn is a 7.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. This is a much improved Butler team from a season ago. Last year, this was one of the more deplorable offenses among power conference teams. In all of college basketball, they've been able to rise up with Pasha Alexander doing a nice job, generating two plus steals per contest and giving out four plus assists per game. He's back to the Pasha Alexander of old. You can tell that when he was playing out there with Andre Carbello, it's not going so well. But this is about their defense that still has quite a few warts to it. They are, though, giving up about 22.5 points fewer per runner in possessions at home rather than on the road, but still outside the top runner in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And for this UConn team, they still rank in the top 30 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession. Basis and even with Polish Alexander being able to rise up, he's still the better backboard, in my opinion, with his UConn team. Camp Spencer, Tristan Newton combining for a little bit over 30 points per contest. Between the two of them, you're able to get nine assists. 2.3 steals per contest, and Spencer is shooting 46% from three range. While Newton is threatening a triple double on a night in and night out basis, you've got Newton along to Alex Caravan, both giving you six plus rebounds per game as well. And Caravan, guy with size, is able to pop it from three. He sees a lot more down low when Klingon is out of the fold and does a relatively solid job there as he's able to get a block per contest. And then he's also been able to get a little bit of rim protection out of Samson Johnson as well. He's not quite Donovan Klingon at six foot 10, but he's still able to give you a block. He's Still able to do a solid job down low. And this is a Butler team that they've got some solid rebounding with Andre three throws at the screen along Jalen Thomas giving you combined about 12.5 rebounds per game. And I like the game of Pierre Brooks, 16.5 points, shoots about 38% from three-par range, and for this Butler team, they do shoot as a whole 34.5% from the outside. They're only turning the ball over about 10.5 times per game, but this UConn team won the best in all of college basketball being able to take care of the ball themselves, so I do think that they are really going to beat their matches, Butler team is going to, with all the size that you've got on this UConn team, and this being a UConn team that they do a relatively solid job both on the inside and the outside. Meanwhile, you do have a Butler team that they very much do get exposed with regards to getting pounded inside. I do think that that's going to be a little bit rough. Butler, 86th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, so they've done a good job of being able to shut that down, but with UConn, I do still think, even with the Klingon injury, that they win from within. I did say UConn as a 7.5-point favorite. Going to be willing to lay the number. These are a pair of very efficient offenses that I think are going to play a game close enough for late-game felling, so I did something I told 145.5. I'm looking at the over, and with UConn, I'm willing to lay up to 7 points. 879, 880 on the betting board. It is is Manhattan, and they play host Niagara, Niagara does find themselves as a favorite of a point, total on this game is between 140 and 140 and a half, with Niagara, I did set them as an underdog of three points, I'm going to be willing to take Manhattan, now right on the money line, this Niagara defense typically is one of the better ones in all of college basketball, typically they play that slow and controlled silent. they're speeding up a little bit, but this is still a team that's outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, Big issue you've got with this Niagara team is that they just aren't guarding the arc. This team is outside the top 300 in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and then also for this Niagara team, in terms of total points allowed on a per-possession basis, 318th in all of college basketball. Not to say that Manhattan has been magnificent by any stretch of the imagination. They're 248th, but boy oh boy, this has not gone well for them. And then on top of that for Manhattan, they allow opponents to only shoot about 29.5% from three-point range when they're at home as well. So when they have it at home, they've been able do a good job of being able to guard the arc, and that's where Niagara is trying to make their hey. They do have one guy down low that has been able to take over games, and Harlan Obioa, he's been able to give you about seven boards, about seven and a half points per game, so he's done a solid job down low for the team, but you've only got two guys on the roster, give you north of three and a half rebounds per game. For Niagara, they do shoot 37 half percent from three-point range. Among their top seven scorers that have made at least one three, all but one of them shoot north of 36 percent from distance, and their top guy in Mr. Ahmad Henderson is the guy that's shooting about 34% per three with about 12.5 points per contest. The team really doesn't have a main facilitator either. Luke Bumbelow, the transfer from Ball State, who did average double figures for Ball State two seasons ago. is right now leading the way with 2.3 assists per contest. And Kawain Marble, who was over at Wyoming a few seasons ago during that 2020-21 season, averaged 9.5 points per game. Looked like he was going to take off. He has fizzled ever since then. He's not giving you too much. And for Manhattan, they have been dealing with quite a few injuries. The St. Bonaventure transfer and Brett Rumpel has been out of the fold really since Thanksgiving, but they've done a good job of being able to mix the matches. You've got Zito Traore along Shaquille Bender, who have both been able to give you about 11.5 points per contest. Bender is shooting about 35% for three. It is a Manhattan team that they turn the ball for 13 times per contest, but you've got Traore along Jaden Winston, both being able to give you about two steals per contest. So they've done a better job of being able to hold it up there. And for Traore, he's been able to give you 9.5 rebounds per game. You've only got two guys on the roster right now for Manhattan that are giving you north of 3.5 rebounds per game as well. So rebounding is going to be quite an issue, but like the way that Manhattan is playing right now in terms of being able to rise up, being able to give you a little bit of a better effort on the offensive side of things as they've been able to break 70 in three out of their last five games. Meanwhile, it's a Niagara team that while they've been able to win two out of their last four games, it has been a team that's been all over the place in terms of defense, giving up 74 plus points in three out of their last four games. I do think that Banana at home gets the job done. I did set Manan as a three-point favorable willing to take them out right on the money line. And with this total, I did set mine at a 140. Here at a 140 and a half, looking at the under. He still have a Niagara team. Well, outside the top 250, in terms of total possessions per game, and it is a Manan team that gets a little bit sloppy with the ball. So, going under and looking at and now right on the money line. 881, 882 on the money board. It is St. Peter's playing against Iona. Iona's a, a 1.5 to a 2.5 point favorite and your total is between 126F and one twenty seven half with Iona. I did set them as an underdog of two points. I'm going to be looking at St. Peter's outright on the money line with the St. Peter's squad. No question about it. This is an offense that is very brutal. They are outside the top 250 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. They do turn the ball over a little bit too much, but this is an Iona team that can be added on the glass. Now, the good news is their 7-footer and Osborne Shema. he is back in the fold bad news for Iona is that they have to face off against the St. Peter's team. That's done a relatively solid job of being able to guard the arc. Opponents are shooting about 31.7% from 3 point range against them. That's the top 115 mark in all of college basketball. You've got an Iona team that's more around 187th with this regard. And Despite the fact that you've got Osborne Chema back in the fold, I do think that St. Peter's is going to be able to win that battle down low, and they're going to be able to scrape out second and third chances. That has really been the way that St. Peter's has been looking to operate as in terms of percentage of missed shots that result in an offense rebound. The St. Peter's team is 21st in all of college basketball. 35.7% of their missed shots do result in an offensive rebound, and this is despite the fact that they don't necessarily have true ideal size. You've been able to get good versatility out of the likes of Latrell Reed, Corey Washington. These two guys give you 11.5 points per game apiece with Washington. He's been able to chip in there about 5.5 boards per contest and then Michael Hoagie, easier top rebounder 6.5 rebounds, 10.5 points per game for a team that they only shoot about 20 percent from 3. They do turn the ball for 13 times per contest, and for Iona, they are going to do a better job of holding onto the ball, and they themselves do generate about 9 seals per game with the Cal transfer and Joel Brown being the main guy. Brown has not been much of a score for the team, but he's been a nice little floor general for them. 3 assists, 6 points, 2.3 seals per contest, and then you've had Mr. Quigley and Jeremiah Quigley rise up and shoot 46.5% from 3, 3.5 assists, 9 points per contest. You've also got Gene Enarujan, who's been able to shoot north of 45% from 3-par range himself. I do think you're going to see some regression here because out of your top five scores for Iona, three of them are shooting north of 46% from three-point range. These are just numbers that are not sustainable, especially with the team shooting 65.5% the free-throw line. It's just a little bit befuddling to take a look on that front. Ruiz Aponzo, though, shoots 35% from three last year, shot north of 40% from three-point range, so I do think that he's going to be able to do a better job there, and you've got an Iona team that has risen up with their defense. 65 points for Fierce surrendered and far of their last five games. You've got a St. Peter's team, though, that is just sticking teams in the mud at this point. When it comes to St. Peter's, last time they gave up north of 70 points is when they gave up 71 to Rutgers and for that matter, they have not given up more than 71 points in a game all season long. So, I do think that this is going to be a rather slow and controlled game, but I do think that St. Peter's gets their second and third chances. I think that this is a game that could be close enough for late game following. So, I did set my total 128, especially with the way that I shooting it from three-point range. I do think that both of these teams have been a little bit fortunate with regards to the opponent's three-point shooting as well. So, looking at the over in this spot, I would say St. Peter's made them the two-point favorite, so going to be looking at them all right on the money line: 883, 884 on the betting board. Sienna is going to be playing us at Fairfield, and Fairfield is a six and a half to a seven and a half point favorite. Your totals between 137 and half and 139 and a for Sienna. I did set them as a three-point underdog. I'm actually going to be willing to take the points. Sienna has played like a bottom ten team in all of college basketball. I don't think that there's much debating about that, but for Siena. Reinforcements are on the way. Michael Ely has been back at the fold for the last few games, and now you've got Sean Duro gordon who's been back for three games. A two-time transfer that began his career at Missouri, played at Ossipi last year at Ossipi, 12.5 points, six boards per contest, and he's given the team 22-plus points at each of the three games that he's played in. Now, the team has still struggled in those games. They have still given up north of 70 points at every one of them, but they did have a spirited effort, losing by four against Brown. They go on the road. They lose by 13 against UMass, but that was good enough for a cover for them as well, so they're 2-1 and one against the spread ever since Drew Gordon has gotten back in the fold. And I'm just not bullish on this Fairfield team. Fairfield canned their coach in Jay Young weeks before the start of the season. So they're makeshifting in terms of undergoing a little bit of a different system. You've been able to get some relatively good scoring out of Bryson Gudai. he comes in from Syracuse shooting 44% from 3, 12.5 points per contest and it is a Fairfield team that they aren't much improved on offense when it comes to Fairfield. They're about 210th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, but 4.1 points more per 100 possessions than a season ago, so clearly there has been some inroads made there, but the team has been struggling a little bit on the defensive side of things. It's not quite the same as it was last year, 168th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, This, is despite the fact that Jasper Floyd said done a good job as the main guy controlling things in the backcourt. 11.5 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds, 2.6 steals per contract but they're still dealing with the injury to Alexis Yetna, so don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you 6 plus rebounds per game. Meanwhile, you've got a Sienna team with Michael of Avrao, hopefully I said that correctly, it's such a hard flash team to say, who's been able to give you north of 6 rebounds per game. Zach Tekken has been able to do a solid job giving you about 3.5 assists per game and it is a Sienna team that has had a really tough time taking care of the ball. 17 turnovers per game, shooting 58% of the free line, 26.5% from 3-point range, but ever since Stuart Gordon has gone back in the fold, you've seen a little little bit of a heartbeat with this team. It doesn't sound like much, but they've gotten to at least 66 points in every single one of their games prior to that. They had scored 67 points or fewer in every one of their games since opening night against Holy Cross. So this team has been able to give you a whole heck of a lot more on offense. It's a Fairfield team that has really bumped up their tempo, and I think that Drew Gordon is a massive difference maker for the Siena team. So I'm going to be willing to take them as a home underdog. I did set this line at three, so I'm going to take the points. i going to stay away from the money line. Don't want to risk that with Siena, but I also do think that Sienna is going to bump up their offense as well. So my total 143, so we're going to have the over and the points with Siena. 885-886 on the betting board. Canisius sits the road face off against Mount St. Mary's, and the Mount does find themselves as 2.5 to 3-point favorites. Their is between 146 f and 147 and with Canisius. I did set them as a favorite of three points. I'm going to be willing to take them outright on the money line. With this Canisius team, I have been thoroughly impressed by what they've been able to do. You've got a backcourt that has a pair of guys in Siam Utajouwe along with Trey Dinkins. They've been able to do a solid job being able to give you a combined 30.5 points per contest, and I will try that name once again. We're going to go Siam Utajandal. Hopefully I got that correct the second time. That is a tough name to say, but that said, with Canisius, they give you a combined about 6.5 assists per contest, and with Utajandal along with Dinkins, they both shoot north of 41.5% for 3 par engine for Canisius, I think we're going to see some regression with this 3-point shooting percentage. They're shooting 39.8% from three-point range, but I mean, these guys have been sharp both at home and on the road. This is a Canisius team that has done a really nice job of being able to hit those outside shots. They do turn the ball over a little bit more than what you'd like to be able to get those outside shots with about 13.5 turnovers per game, but Mount St. Mary's is even worse at taking care of the ball. 14.8 turnovers per game. Each of your top three scorers give you at least 2.2 turnovers per contest. They've had to trust in Dakota Lafue to dole out the ball. You was a north of 40% three-point shooter a season ago, now with having to run the show we have seen that 3-point shooting percentage dip to about 33% from the outside. It's giving you 4 assists, half points per game and seems to be getting a little bit more help out of Dallas Hobbs, who's been able to give you 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists, 8.5 points per game and shoots in the mid-30s from 3 point range, but it's a Mount St. Mary's team that just doesn't have the rebounding that they used to have. They don't have a single guy in the roster that's giving you north of 5 rebounds per game. Couple that with the fact that they are dealing with a little bit of an injury to Xavier Lipscomb as well. Lipscomb is someone that came in from Radford, is able to give you some relatively good 3-point shooting, so that's going to be an issue for them, and they do go up against Canisius' team that does rank in the top 135 nationally in terms of percentage of missed shots that do result in an offensive rebound, so they do a relatively solid job there at Mount St. Mary's. They're ranking about 75th with this regard, but once again, with nobody giving you north of five rebounds per game, with George Chinsley not necessarily coming to the forefront for this team, I do think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue, and much of this is going to come down to which team can take care of the ball a little bit more. I have a little bit more faith in Canisius' team that they do have some more design roles. They know exactly what they're going to be able to get out of these guys and couple that with the fact that for Mount St. Mary's you just haven't had Josh Reeves take off as well. He's only been able to give you about 7.5 points per contest. Shoots it okay from 3-point range but with having Frank Mitchell being able to dominate down low for Canisius, being able to give you about 9.5 rebounds per game and with this being a Canisius squad that in terms of their 3-point shooting defense, ranks in the top 25 nationally, I do think that they get the job done. I did set Canisius as a 3-point favorite taking them out right on the money line. I did set my total out of 147. Both of these teams do a relatively solid job getting those second chance I do think that this is a game close enough for late game following as well. So, going over on one forty six half or less and going to be taking a look at that Canisius money line. 887, 888 on the bang board. Toledo is going to be playing as Miami of Ohio. Miami of Ohio does find themselves as underdogs of 11 to 11 half points. So, it's 157 half and with Miami of Ohio, I did set them as an underdog of 13 and half points. I'm going to be willing to lay with Toledo. Toledo as they always do, they find themselves outside the top 200. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they are getting gashed from 3 point range, 311th in the country with that regard, but... You take a look at this Miami of Ohio bunch, and this has not necessarily been a team that has been too tremendous with their defense either. With this Miami of Ohio team, they have been quite rudderless over the last few seasons. They're able to pop it from 3 point range as well, so I do think that this is going to be a relatively high-scoring game, but for Miami of Ohio, 256 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and even more concerning for this bunch is that they are giving up about 20.8 points more per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. Now, Miami of Ohio is actually a top 75 team in the country in terms of one-and-three-point shooting percentage, but I do think that the way that Toledo does a solid job being able to take care of the ball while still playing relatively up-tempo, only about 11 and a half turnovers per game, they're going to beat their match in this one and it's a lot of the ancillary pieces that have shot it so well from three-point range. You've got Sam Lewis, who's right now shooting about 50% from three-point range. Andre Lachesson has been able to shoot in that neighborhood about 48.5% from the outside, Well, you've got the likes of Raheem Sante Maddox just being able to throw the ball in the basket, a 31 points, five assists, three steals, while Shoot shoots 37% from the outside. It is a Toledo team that certainly doesn't have a ton of rebounding. Tyler Cochran has been able to give you 6 plus rebounds per game, but for Miami of Ohio, you don't have a single guy in this roster that gives you an earth of 4.8 rebounds per game. Anderson Mumbo, he comes back as a six six nine, 6'9", ten big man that gives you a little bit of versatility. Despite being like 300 pounds, he's able to pop threes, which I do find to be rather incredible. And Darwishu Hunter has been able to give you 13 points per contest, shoots 37.5% from three. And all in all for Miami of Ohio, this is a squad that is shooting in the neighborhood about 37.5% to 38% from three point range, so they've been able to do a solid job with that regard, but they still do turn the ball over about 12 and a half times for contests. This is not a Toledo team as by any stretch of the imagination. Amazing on the glass, but Miami of Ohio is getting cooked 345th in the country in terms of overall rebound rate. You take a look at their rebound rate on the road. Bottom 15 mark in all of college basketball. Toledo is going to be able to win that battle on the glass. I do think that Miami of Ohio has been quite fortunate with their three-point shooting defense as well. So I do think that Miami of Ohio is going to have it, take it to them. Now this total opened up at a 159. At the 159, it would be willing to go under. I did set my total at a 157.5 which is where the number is right now. So if we get back to that opening number, I'm going to be willing to dive in on this total on if we keep diving downward, if this goes to a 157 or less, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. But in this spot, I did set Toledo as a 13.5 point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay with them. And at a 157 or less, I'm going to be taking a look at the over 158 or higher to the under. Now we have my DK Network right up pick. This is the 889, 890 on the betting board. Quinnipiac, they play us to Rider. Ryder, Ryder finds themselves as an underdog of 3.5 to 4.5 points. Total on this game is 149. And my write-up, that is going to be on Quinnipiac. I did set them as a 9-point favorite. Do like what I'm seeing. On this Bobcats team, for Quinnipiac, had a rough go of it first four games of the season. They were giving up north of 105.5 and a half points per 100 possessions, but that has dipped by 8.8 points per 100 possessions over their last 7 games in this 7 game time span. They have given up 70 points or fewer in 5 of these games. Now they go up against a Rider team that has just been pretty awful with their offense. 301st in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. For Rider. 352nd in the country in 3 point shooting percentage. 337th in the country in terms of 2 point shooting percentage. Their lone saving grace is at their 52nd in the country in terms of percentage of missed shots that resulted in an offensive rebound, but they have just done absolutely nothing with it. It's a Quinnipiac team that has been able to do a much better job than Ryder on the defensive side of things as well. As Ryder ranks 270th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and a big reason why is their constant felling as Ryder is 342nd in the country in terms of free throw attempts per offensive play and they run into a Quinnipiac team that is right now 16th in the country shooting 78% of the free throw line and that jumps at 82.4% free throw shooting when they're at home. So you got a lot of issues here for Ryder team that they do a relatively solid job on the glass. You've got to give a little bit of credit where credit is due, and Mervin James, he is one of the better scorers that you're going to be finding just really in this conference in general. He's been able to throw in there about 19 points per contest, got a little bit of versatility with 6 plus rebounds per game, more like 7.5 rebounds per contest, but for Quinnipiac, though you don't have one set rebounder that is as good as Mervin James, you do have a hole is greater than the sum of his parts sort of team as each other top 5 scorers in terms of points per game this far this season have been able to give you at least 4 rebounds per contest. That includes Matt Blanish, who's been able to shoot 39 and a half percent from three-point range, and I was alluding to the good free-throw shooting for this Quinnipiac team. Out of their top five scores, four of them shoot at least 81.4 percent from the free-throw line. That includes the Wofford transfer and Amari Tice, who's been able to give you about 11.6 at boards per contest. He shoots at percent from three-point range. It's a Rider team that does a relatively okay job of being able to guard the three-point arc, but they just don't have a facilitator, much like Xavier Lewis is for Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac has Lewis throwing out 7.3 assists per game. That is a top-five mark in all of college basketball, generating a steal and a half per contest as well. To the credit of Ryder, they don't get too loose with the ball but that said, they still are generating about 13 turnovers per game. That's not necessarily too terrific and with that bad three-point shooting, you do have to figure it's going to go upward a little bit. TJ Weeks, a career about 35% three-point shooter, shooting about 28.5% from three with about eight points per contest. thus far this season, Terry Ingram is able to give you some rebounding but this is a Ryder team that's very rudderless on offense. Kudipiak has done a better job of taking care of the ball. Their defense has has really been able to rise up as well and this is a Rider team that's getting completely cooked on defense as they've now given up at least 77 points in five out of their last six games against Division One competition so my DK network that that is going to be laying the points with Quinnipiac set them as a nine point favorite and with this total I did set mine at a 147 I like the way that Quinnipiac has been able to play some defense recently Ryder, also north of 13 turnovers per game that's going to waste some possession so diving in on the under my write-up that that is going to be laying the points with Quinnipiac 891, 892 on the betting board it is Purdue and they're going to be point goes to Illinois. Illinois does find themselves as 10 to 10.5 point underdogs. With your total on this game, 155.5, I did set Purdue as an 11 point favorite. So, here at the 10 to the 10.5, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Don't want to lay anything more as I've actually liked what I've seen out of Illinois without Terrence Shannon, but I do think that that loss is going to be catching up with them sooner rather than later. And for Marcus Snowmask. He's really been the guy that stepped up in the absence of Mr. Shannon. Last two games, a combined 43 points, 17 assists to seven turnovers. So that has been absolutely massive for an Illinois team that even with Shannon now out of the fold, they've been able to do a really nice job in terms of just overall team rebounding. Each other top five scores remaining with Shannon now out of the fold. I'll give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game and five out of your top six scores remaining. have been able to do so as well. You got to figure that Justin Harmon, the transfer from Utah Valley, is going to continue to see more minutes in the two games without Shannon a combined 38 points, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job for a Illinois team that does rank in the top 25 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. That said you've got a Purdue team that, even though they're playing more up-tempo, which means they're giving up more points, the team has actually been a little bit more of an efficient defense in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So don't just look at the fact that Purdue is giving up more points and think that this defense is worse. They're actually better. They've actually given up about 3.7 points per 100 possessions, fewer this year than a season ago. They're 27th in the country with this regard, and at home, they're giving up 19.5 points fewer per one possessions rather than in a roadside shoot court environment, and then you've got Giant of the Year Zach Eady, though. You do have a Illinois team that does a good job by committee of rebounding. You just don't have anyone that's able to match up with them. Like, good luck to Coleman Hawkins, who's got good versatility. He gives you 2.5 assists. He gives you 4.5 rebounds per game. He doesn't match up with them. Quincy Garrier is able to do a nice job. 11.7 rebounds per game. He just doesn't match up with them either. And then you've got Braden Smith, who's done such a nice job of being able to General for this Purdue team, thirteen points, five and a half boards, six and a half assists. He has really taken that year to bump. Now shooting forty nine percent from three point range. So he's been gashing teams with that regard. You've got Fletcher Lawyer's done a really nice job of being able to play off the ball, eleven and a half points. He's now shooting nearly forty percent from three point range. And then you've got the other guys like a Trey Kaufman, Ran, who's been able to shoot forty six half percent from distance, gives you seven points per contest. The backup singers, they know their role, they play it very well. It's a Purdue team that's really starting to come into their own defensively as well as. Purdue is just sticking teams in the mud. 57 points of fear surrendered in each of their last three games. This is an Illinois team that they themselves have been a little bit up and down with their defense, giving up north of 70 points in three out of their last five games. So a little bit of a situation of something has got to give with this Purdue team. Don't want to be laying anything more than 10.5 points, but I'm going to be willing to lay the 10.5 here. And with this total, I did set it out at 145. I do think that with Illinois dealing with their top scorer and TJ Shannon being out of the fold, they turn to a little bit more of a defense-oriented style. This is a Purdue team that at their core... They're looking to play some good defense as well. So I'm going to be diving in on the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay with Purdue, 893 94 on the betting board. It is Bowling Green. They throw the face off against Akron. Akron does find themselves as a favorite of 9.5 points. So now this game is saying between 138 and 139 and And with the Akron zips, I did set them as a favorite of 10.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Credit where credit is due. Bowling Green has had Todd Simon come in and do a really good job of elevating this program. They're at 10-3. and This was a pretty dead program the last few seasons, and... He's done a good job of mixing and matching with the guys that were there last year, and then bringing guys visal, like a Jason Spurgeon, who was playing over at Southern Utah with him a season ago. Been able to give this team 10-plus points, right around 6 boards. Has some versatility to be able to pop some threes. And this is an Akron team that isn't quite the same on defense as they have been in past years. This is an Akron team that's well outside the top 100 in terms of points lot on a per possession basis, but they still play relatively slow, relatively controlled, and though this Bowling Green team has been quite a bit better on defense, they're actually 68th in the country in terms of points lot on a per possession basis. I think Ali Ali makes a difference in this one with Ali Ali. He was playing over at Akron two seasons ago when they made the NCAA tournament at a less than rememberable year over at Butler and was one of those two-time transfers that. Was ineligible to begin the season, but in five games back, has been able to chip in their seventeen half points per contest. At six foot eight, two seasons ago at Akron shot forty percent for three. At just thirty percent thus far this season, but we've really seen the defense be able to elevate for the team as well as now they've given up sixty five points or fewer in three of their last four games, with the lone exception being an overtime game against Gardner Webb. So he's been able to help out quite a bit on this front end. It takes a lot of the load off of Enrique Freeman, who's going to be able to win the battle down though. He right now leads all of college basketball at thirteen point two rebounds per game. Jumping in there, 18 points, a block and a half, a steal per contest. He has been just performing time and time again. The biggest issue that you had with this team was a little bit of a lack of, shall we say, responsibility in the backcourt, not knowing what guys were going to be doing what. Feels like now they have found a little bit more of their floor general. And Caleb Thornton, not a guy that's going to score at all. He only gives you about four points per contest, but it's also three assists per game and actually does shoot 44% per three. It is an accurate team that is still turning the ball over about 13 times per contest, but they do go up against a Bowling Green bunch that they don't necessarily generate a lot of steals. It is a Bowling Green team that they themselves are coming into their own with regards to their offense. This team has been able to get past the 75-point plateau in every one of their games, really ever since late November, each out of their last six. So credit where credit is to actually each out of their last seven, but for this Bowling Green team as well, they only do shoot about 30.5% from three-point range, 67% at the free-throw line. Love the 20-plus points per game you're able to get out of Marcus Hill, but I do think that Ali Ali is a big difference maker, really elevates everyone else on this Akron team, and Akron really challenged themselves on conference. So even though these two teams have similar records, I do think that Akron, especially with having that advantage down low, is just cut from a little bit of a different cloth. So I did set this Akron bunch as a favorite of 10.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number on it. did set my total at a 142.5. You do have a Bowling Green team that is really doing a nice job being able to pump in there in the offense. So Akron has been a little bit better on defense with Ali. Ali now in the fold. This team has also been able to elevate on offense with 73 plus points in four of their last five games. So looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay with Akron. And we do wrap the Things up with 895, 896 on the bank board. It is San Jose State. They play us to Boise State. San Jose State. is a five to a six-point home underdog. Total is 142 and a half. Always love saying San Jose State, by the way. But that said, with Boise State, I did set them as a six and a half point road favorite. I'm gonna be willing to lay the number. Was expecting a little bit more out of Boise State this season, but I still feel like it's a little bit of a jury's out situation. They just had a strange and wonky non-conference late. This is still a Boise State team that ranks in the top 90 nationally. There's a points a lot on a per possession basis. And for San Jose State, they got off to a really nice start with their defense to begin the year. They were at one point a top 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and that has went down the toilet bowl. They're now about 186th in the country and they're giving up 5.5 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. And for San Jose State, I just feel like attrition has gone to them because they had Robert Viola coming back as their main big man and he has not gotten out there on the floor this year. Looks like his season is done. They've been dealing with Trey Anderson being in and out of the fold. Now the good news is it looks like he should be in 12.5 points, shooting about 44.5% from three-point range. And that should be able to elevate this program as you do have a San Jose State team that's been better on offense this year. They're shooting 35.5% from three-point range. You've been able to have Alvero Cardenas do a solid job, giving you about five and a half assists, so about two turnovers per game, and Myron Amy Jr. has been your main scorer, chipping in there about 14 points per contest, but it's a very top-heavy team. Each of your top four scores. the three guys I mentioned along Tibet to Beck are all to give you at least 12.5 points per contest. Three of these four guys give you at least 4 points four rebounds per game. Don't have anyone else that gives you north of 5.3 points per game. You've only got one other player, that would be Adrame Dionge, the 7-footer from Senegal, who's giving you north of three rebounds per game. And for Boise State, I still think that Tyson Dagenhardt is one of the more hard-to-guard mid-major players in all of college basketball. 15 points per contest, gives you five boards at six eight, Pops threes, has been a little bit off this year, shooting only about 29% from the outside, and I do think that the biggest issue that Boise State has had is trying to replace Marcus Shaver as six foot nine Cam Martin has had to be a little bit of a do-it-all guy right now leading the team in assists with three assists, five and a half rebounds per game, but I do take a look at the San Jose State team and after a season ago, them being one of the top rebounding teams in all of college basketball, that fall off is just so massive. San Jose State 279th in the country right now in terms of total rebound rate and at home, they have been a bottom 25 team with regards to that rebound rate as well. That really does speak to me and this is a Boise State team that even though the defense isn't quite what it was a season ago, this has still been a relative Absolutely solid team at being able to guard the three-point arc. They're in the top 50 nationally in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. You've got Jabuzo Agbo for the Boise State team as well. has been able to shoot 40-plus percent from three-point range each of the last two seasons as well. And for San Jose State, they're going to need to shut down the arc. And for San Jose State thus far this season, in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, they've been clocking in right around about 206, allowing opponents to shoot 34% from three-point range at home. This is the San Jose State team that has been bumping up their tempo a little bit. I do think that Tim Miles now that things are bad Back in conference. He's going to look to play things a little bit more slow, a little bit more grindy. This is a Boise State team that ranks well outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. And for this Boise State team, they've really found it with regards to their defense. In each of their last four games against Division 1 opponents, they have held them to 65 points or fewer. And for that matter, the last time they gave up north of 70 points to a Division 1 opponent, you have to go all the way back to Thanksgiving on the 23rd of November against Virginia Tech. So they've done a nice job defensively on that front. So I do think that this is a lower scoring slogs up by total 136F going under out with the Boise State willing to lay up to 6 with them and that will wrap things up with the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Heaps, now part of the Beasts and Family Podcast if you do like hearing from this fine podcast Coast to Coast you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast Apple Podcasts Google Play, Spotify sit here and tune in if you have a question, comment, think of an idea, whatever you for this podcast do have one of two ways we offer those in first one is by Twitter slash X timeline at JNN underscore D1 keep in mind letters ZM they mean does not matter as per usual please do send these into the timeline ways, find an Apple Podcast review if you rate this podcast Five stars. It is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like here on this podcast via the five star review. And big thanks to Curtis Rogers who does such amazing work over at some 10 Seattle Sports for joining me in the last segment. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm coming at you get Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in.